Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, I'm Clive Anderson. Welcome to My Seven Wonders Live. In this podcast, I'm joined by a special guest to tell me all about the seven wonders, great or small, personal or improbable, of his or her world. Sometimes it's just me and the guest, but this episode is one of a number we've recorded in front of live audiences in Edinburgh and now London. And the guest starring in this edition is the comedian, actor and top-line impressionist John Culshaw. So here we go with an enthusiastic audience in London's Leicester Square Theatre exploring the seven wonders of John Culshaw. John, thank you. You just... Very nice. This is very Elton (laughs) John-like. I'm so happy to be here today. You're not doing your farewell concert now, are you? (laughs) He's making a billion or something out of his farewell tours. So, um, yes, the, the last for... ten tours seem to have been farewell ones. Yeah. <laughs> the bigger the star, the longer the farewell uh, tour. So, John, thank you very much uh, for joining oh, us here. Pleasure. As far as I can tell, the audience didn't know it was you. Uh, well, they, they know now, obviously, but uh, they didn't know it was you and they didn't really know what to expect from this particular show. So it's all down to your seven wonders. Uh, did, you, um, did you have a, a, a good time selecting the one or did you have to agonise over what no, you're going to... No, it was nice. I had... Um... A, a very pleasant contemplation yes. over a couple of cups of tea. Yes. And you just let the thoughts rise to the yeah. top of your mind, the things yes. that fascinate, the things right. that bring you peacefulness, yeah. and so on. And that was how I did it, really. Okay, right. Okay. Well, I thought I'd introduce you by re- referring, to, you know, referring to various political figures, because I, I, you know, I, I get the feeling sometimes people think I have a passing resemblance of William Hague. Was, was he somebody you could, you could ever <laughs> oh, do as a gosh. Sometimes when new characters come along and you hear a voice for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> you, you think, what a joy. You think, got yeah, to have yeah. that one. Yes. Got to have that one because there he was. It was as if he was uh, speaking in a different uh, gravity that compressed the words. <laughs> <laughs> And um, I, I met him a couple of times, and he, he went on a, on stage and gave a speech, and he said the word incorrigible, <laughs> and I had the job to follow him, which is a difficult thing to do because he's a very smart, very funny yes, chap. Yes, yes, yes. His yes, speeches yes. are brilliant. Yeah. So I remember saying, him, "But by Jove, you really do speak like that, don't you?" <laughs> Afterwards, it was quite charming. We were, we were going through words that sound good in when he pronounces them: incorrigible, yes. Damascus, <laughs> and, and I th- what's it? Benghazi. <laughs> That's probably the best one. Yeah. And uh, sometimes impressions. I don't know you complain like this. Just some complain. Oh, you know, the one from five years ago, ten years ago, the politician twenty years ago. They were all characters, and now yeah. they're all a bit. Dull. So is there always a sort of period of time when you uh, you, you haven't quite you know got up to speed yet with the? Uh, um, yeah, sometimes the palate can be a little bit bland. Yes, David Cameron was always rather bland. You know, just sort of generic partially repeated hand gestures yeah. and wanting to get away from the interview as fast as possible. <laughs> uh, but you know, along comes Johnson and bails out the whole lot rather more uh, than we yeah. would. You know, like, like, look, those of you who said I don't know what I'm talking about don't know what you are talking about. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, yes, yeah, sometimes there's a, a blandness. Yeah. Yes. But even going back many years, uh, certain characters say on Spitting Image, you, yeah. you had the big, well-known characters, the Hesseltines and the mm. Douglas Herds. There might have been others, you know, Cecil Parkinson or whoever, mm. who might have been less well-known. And so Spitting Image gave them a bit of help. Yeah. Uh, but by uh, extending their character, extending the, the, the ridiculousness yeah. and the and the extremes. So you're exaggerating for comic effect, but you are kind of helping their career unwittingly, making them more famous. <laughs> well, yes, it, you, you've got to. Uh, th- that's why I love Dead Ringers so much. That the, the writers on Dead Ringers are very good at um, making sure that the, the truth is got at. 
right. and it's not just many characters we celebrate. Yeah, but you know, with with some of them, you've, I think the writers on Dead Ringers are very mindful not to play too much into that helping a person by making them jolly, yeah. making them hide behind. I think they always played that the, the writing for Boris Johnson always did hint at, well, more than hint, to get at the um, you know the, the the sort of not taking it seriously, the yeah. duplicity, the very casual approach. That uh, yeah. I think they tried to undercut that very nicely. It's hard to exaggerate him because uh, he's he's something of a, a cartoonish character already, isn't he? Even yes. if you even if you love him, yes. he is a sort of ridiculous uh, look, look to him. That they would always write it so it was the pure, unfiltered truth. Coming out of his mind. Yes. Nothing tidied up for political effect. Yeah. Look at that splendid film. What we suspect the raw thoughts were. Yeah. Okay. Right. Look, we better we better get on because you've mentioned it's sort of hinting at your your hinterland. So you did spitting image. You've done you do dead ringers, which is neat little impressions. You know, rapidly putting you and a team of other impressionists. I might come back to how the impressions start because I think one or two of your wonders might take us back there. But but you had to come up with your seven wonders, and the first one is solar eclipses. Oh yes. So that couldn't be further away from Boris Johnson. Well, I don't know. I suppose he could drift in under the sun and, uh, yes. and that could uh, blot out yeah. yes he could uh, he, he could uh, you know brighten the room just by leaving it or whatever the saying goes <laughs> um I love solar eclipses. I've always had a great fascination for astronomy and the cosmos and the clockwork of the the clockwork of the solar system and the universe yeah. <laughs> um, but solar eclipses are yeah. I, I think that they are the most incredible sight you can see. In nature. So this, you came to this originally. So look, it wasn't just that you could do a good Patrick Moore, <laughs> and because uh, uh, he was another great character that was a, a, a gift to. Yes, in, indeed, yeah. indeed. I, re- I remember actually being off school one afternoon in the seventies and watching the schools and colleges programmes, and at the end of it was a repeat of the sky at night. Yes, and that was the, the first time where I saw Patrick Moore, wonderfully eccentric, yeah. very characterful, speaking very, very quickly indeed. Yes, speaking with uh, interviewers in this manner, very much so indeed. Yeah. Uh, so, what is the gravity of Saturn and such <laughs> things? Yes. And he was so fascinating and engaging that uh, I immediately um, borrowed my brother's um, book, the Observer's Book of Astronomy, written right. by Patrick Moore. Yes. Borrowed my dad's binoculars and went into the backyard that night and just looked up at the, the craters of the moon for the first time and was fascinated by astronomy. And in the middle of that Observer's Book of Astronomy book, there is a, a wonderful image of a total solar eclipse. And I, I looked at when the next one was set to be. Yeah. This was about 1977 I was looking at, at this and the, the eclipse of 1999 was listed. And I thought, I must, I must, I must, in these decades to come, mm. see a real total solar Put eclipse. Put a note in your diary for 1999. <laughs> <laughs> Look out for the sun going dark yes, during the day. It's just the most fascinating, eerie eerie strange thing and the fluke by which solar eclipses happen um the the moon is 400 times smaller than the sun yes but 400 times closer to the earth yeah so just by pure cosmic fluke they appear uh, the the exact same size yes and slowly slowly as the uh as the 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 moon blocks out the light of the sun leaving just the tiniest slither of light where the light that's given to the earth then is a deeply strange, eerie, grey monochrome, which doesn't occur under any other conditions. And it really feels alien. It feels visceral. Yeah. The clockwork of the solar system happening around you. Right. So, so it's that strange coincidence of the, the 400 in each case. Yes, it's a pure it. fluke. The, yeah. the total solar eclipses, yeah. the way we see them, it's, it's the only way they occur. Well, I'm glad you're talking about I, I knew that fact because I, I read it yesterday <laughs> in readiness in ready this, for this interview. I suppose I must have been told it dozens of times over the years mm-hmm. and it hasn't stuck in my mind. But it will now because uh, you've told me... And, Sort of in the voice of Patrick Moore uh, leading there, and you went on to Brian Cox as well. Do, yeah, do, can you do everybody on the, uh, um, you know, the, the various presenters on? Um, yes, I do love scientists. Up. They're very characterful yeah. and quite mysterious. I love Carl Sagan with his famous pale blue dot speech. Mm. This pale blue dot, if you imagine. Every hopeful child, every couple in love, every doting parent, every yeah. doctor, every every despot they all played out their life there 
suspended in time on the mode of dust. <laughs> <laughs> so were, is this something you've always done from your earliest age? Were, at school, were you the, the naughty kid who was doing the impression of the teacher, oblivious to the fact that the teacher had come in behind you. Oh, yes, that did happen once. Yes, I did. I grew up in Lancashire where everybody was very characterful. You know, this guy, the lovely accent. Yes. You know, the Lancashire accent, it goes up that way, it curls up like wrought (laughs) iron. You know, you think, uh, you know, Fred Dibner, by Joe, we'll get that chimney down. You know, it's quite high. Whereas Yorkshire, Yorkshire goes that way. Yeah. Yorkshire bends down, you know. Lancashire's in a tizzy, Yorkshire's leaning on bar. (laughs) (laughs) I just did one of these, these uh, My Seven Wonders with Barry Rutter, and he said that uh, a Yorkshire accent was suitable for doing Greek tragedy, Greek <laughs> drama. It's the same clipped short syllables, and that Lancashire would be, no, be no good for it. The other side of the, uh, the, the Pennines, no good at all. Yes, so, it'd probably be that that caused the drama, and they'd come and sort it out. Yeah. With the... <laughs> <laughs> so you're in school in Lancashire. And, yes. Uh, so that, that's how people, everybody spoke, uh, presumably, more or less. Yes, it's, uh, there's quite a blend with Liverpool now. You know, at the edges of Ormsgate, you know, you get that kind of, you know, Liverpool accents, you know, mm. just that sort of relaxed one. You know, sort of push it a bit harder, yeah. it takes you to Paul McCartney, you know, <laughs> just wobble it a bit more, yeah. Um, but I did love to copy people and, mm. uh, and the teachers. Yes. I remember um, one break time at school in the lunch hour, it had been raining and you're stuck inside. Wet break was thoroughly miserable. Mm. And this was followed by double history. Oh, yeah. Um, and I thought I sort of took it upon myself as a duty to try and cheer up the class. Yes. So before the teacher, Mr. Platford, uh, had arrived to take the lesson, I walked up to the board and started yeah. as... Uh... <laughs> That's got your best reaction of all your impressions. And nobody in the room knows Mr. Platford. Let's have Mrs. Platford is here. <laughs> yes, there he was. He had that sort of stretched out teacher tone, which mm. helps you remember the information. Mm. Uh, and the class were laughing along, but and I was in a stride. But uh, so I failed to notice that the class had stopped laughing. Yes. And then there was his silhouette in the door. Uh. Coleshaw, you will report here after <laughs> class detention. Report here without fail. Oh. So um, I spent the two hours following, thinking I'm in serious trouble here. You know, caught red-handed, sort of ridiculing the teacher. Yeah. This is probably going to be the cane or some sort of um, you know fashionable punishment of the 1970s, <laughs> early 80s, actually 82ish. Yeah. I think this was. And I, I, ret- I, I turned up for the detention, and yes. straight away, um, Mr. Platford said, "Do I really talk that way?" <laughs> <laughs> now off you go home, but don't tell anyone I sent yeah, you. Yeah. <laughs> So he, he saw the joke. He was he was happy yes, with it. Yes, yeah. he was. He was. And, and did he have a word with the drama teacher and say? So the drama teacher came to you and say, "Look, uh, look here, John. You've got a oh maybe Culture. I don't know how formal yes, your school was. Yes. Look here, Culture. You could be on the stage. You could be taking up um, acting. Yes, I, I think um, when you're about fourteen or fifteen and you have those careers lessons in school, mm. and there was another teacher, Mister Breen, Ken Breen, yeah. and he said, "Here's how you choose your options." <laughs> What you're good at, what you enjoy, okay? And I thought, oh, well. And I started to think I'd be a disaster if I worked in a shop or a bank. My mind doesn't work that way. But I was fascinated by radio. I loved TV comedy. All right. And so I thought, well, in English lessons, when you had to read your composition aloud, I quite enjoyed that. Yes. And I could put little silly bits in that. And I thought, well, maybe performance is where I should, that's at least the direction I should look. Yes. So I I think it did start in those days. But mostly when you say you want to be something like an actor to a, a careers master or mistress, they say, you know, 90% of actors or 99 out of 100 actors are out of work at any given time. Mm. And you say, oh, I want to be a judge. Oh, it's very difficult to get into Fleet Street. Oh, I want to, I want to be an astronaut. Oh, you can't be that. They, they, I know they, they sort of encourage a bit, but they also do yes. squash a bit with this suggestion. So just saying, well, I, I quite enjoy the idea of TV comedy. That's quite a... Um, that's quite a bold aim to, to be mm. pursuing. I, di- I did get those various reactions from various teachers. I remember um, there was two teachers at Sixth Form College in Wigan, St John Rigby College in Wigan. And the principal, uh, when uh, he heard this, he, he was very cautionary. He said, well, you know, this is, um, you know, you really do need to make sure that you're not living in cuckoo land here. <laughs> you really do need to make sure. And whilst you're figuring this out, really, perhaps just make a better effort. You know, he was, he was yeah. that kind of... 
I can't, I'm imposing no discipline on this conversation. You're doing impressions of all your teachers and nobody knows what they sounded like. Let's get back to the solar eclipse because I want to tidy this up. So the solar eclipse yes. of all the things, but uh, the, the only thing I do remember about solar eclipse, they say, oh, it's going to be a solar eclipse or some solar eclipse tomorrow, but you mustn't look at it because it, you know, it burns your eyes out. So yes, you, exactly. You can only look when it's total, when the sun is completely obscured yes. and you can just see the solar corona. Then yeah. you can look at it through the partial phases before and after. You need those mm. illuminized mylar eclipse yeah. viewers. Right. And you can see so you've it. got to be prepared or a little, a little pinhole in a piece of paper. That's yes, set. you can project it. If yeah. you, you, you can hold up uh, a tea strainer and, and look at the shadow on a piece of white card and it'll show little pinhole cameras of the partial phases yes. as it goes along. Yeah. When it gets total... Then you can look. Yes, <laughs> but not before. I want. I was whenever there was one. I didn't, maybe it's the year you're talking about. I happened to be in the west of Scotland, and we were looking out for this total eclipse of the sun. But we all agreed that. Uh, uh, finding a time of a day in the West Scotland where the sun is obscured <laughs> wasn't such an exciting proposition as that. That was almost every day of the year. Uh, but anyway, so I, I, so you're, I, I know you've got another wonder coming up. So we'll perhaps mm -hmm. return to the wonder that you have um, to do with the uh, planets and the solar system. But, yes. But there, so that's a, that's a taster of the solar eclipse. But your next wonder takes you takes us back into the world of uh, impressions. And it's very noble of you, in a sense, because you've chosen as your second wonderful, Mike Yarwood. Oh, yes, yeah. yes. Wonderful so Mike Yarwood. Um, I, I admire Mike so much because he was the first big-time TV impressionist. Yes. And he was the first to have all the opportunities of the equipment to work with, all the multi-cameras, all yeah. the split screens. So he could do two characters talking to each other, yes. things like that. Yes. And instinctively, he just knew so wonderfully what to do with that. Yeah. And he created, oh, you know, the two steps. I was talking, oh, you're not going to put me into a home. Oh, no, it's all right. But, and all this yeah. looking side yes. by side by side. Yeah. And he was so smart to know what to do that and with yeah. all that available to him. And I think he, he kicked open the door for everyone else who followed. So at this stage that we were talking about before, when you were on your school days thinking of a career, mm. did, did you think, well, I could, I could act, I could do some comedy, but that's, that particular thing is what I can do. And I just as he can do stentoans, and I can do both of those. Presumably you could. Yes, I think at that stage, I just simply enjoyed him. I just mm. simply enjoyed watching the show and the yes. atmosphere of Saturday night television. And I hadn't really thought that it uh, it might be a job particularly. Yeah. Although I did, uh, to my parents and my uh, relations and so on, I did do little voices of local people. Yeah. My, my grandmother's cleaner, Mrs. Jump, who said, yeah, love, yeah, that's right, yeah. You know, these wonderful characterful people who could have been written by Alan Bennett and mm. so on. So I, I, it was just for enjoyment, really. Yeah. And it seemed to make everybody smile. So did you go straight into doing that or did you have other jobs beforehand? I did have, I did have some other jobs. My career as a waiter lasted for 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to carry too many plates um, on my first ever night at oh, no, True you're... Mrs. Overall business. Yes. And it, it was, you know, hot mash and gravy and it burnt my arm and, <laughs> and I dropped the plate and it landed in, in this poor lady's bag. All the mash and gravy went in her bag. Oh, no. But she was so kind. She was so lovely. She pulled her passport out and wiped off all the gravy and the mash and she opened it up. She was from Canada and she said... You know what, honey? You know, this was nearly expired and I hated the photo. <laughs> <laughs> How sweet of her. So that was kind but of Canadians her. are always nice, aren't yes, they? They're, yes. they're pretty well always. So yes. That's pretty good of her. Um, so you're doing that that sort of job. Yeah. But, but you got into show business in one form or other? I think I, I was... Um, one summer of 1984, I had a summertime job washing cars. Yes. Um, and you could have the radio on. And I loved listening to... Radio One, uh, Gary Davis and Steve Wright and others, so Red Rose Radio, the local station, Radio City mm. in Liverpool. We, we, uh, we don't really know how old the audience is here. So so far, we've uh, trailed into Mike Yarwood and Patrick Moore. Now we're back to early days of Radio One. I hope there's at least some people here old enough to remember all those uh, people. <laughs> yes, all right, <laughs> oh, yes, 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 yes. They all are, apparently. We move up through time yeah, as we go yeah. along. Yeah. So uh, you're listening to Radio One. While... And I thought, that's fascinating. Listening yeah. to radio for hours on end, I thought, that is fascinating. Maybe there's something in this. And I later volunteered at my local hospital station, yes, Radio Ormskirt General, which was a little grey prefab box with a washing line that connected it to the main hospital. And the programmes were transmitted through this little line that pigeons would perch on. Yeah. 
Yes. And that was that was where I volunteered. That was my first uh, sort of occupation in radio, if you like. So you were playing records or you were doing comedy bits in between the records? Yes, or... you'd play records and you'd talk in between them. Yes. No, heard... but were you sort of expanding the comedy or were you just saying, oh, and coming up now is, um, you know, Buckman Taylor Overdrive. Or a bit of that. Yes, yes. A bit of that, but I did take it upon myself to uh, use voices for their... Uh, yeah. I would always do the weather forecast. You know, quite often as Bob Geldof, strong westerly wind persisting, yeah. bringing with it many heavy showers, top temperatures, 10 Celsius, 50 Fahrenheit. Yeah. This is August. That is a disgrace. <laughs> <laughs> or um, An extraordinary impression of him without any swear words. Yes, exactly. 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 Undercut <laughs> the believability of it altogether. Yes, yeah. Sunday in Leicester Square, I'm, I'm tempering it suitably. <laughs> so I, I would use voices as a little party trick in, yeah. in, in the show. But once again, right. not thinking it would be a full-time career at this yes. stage. And then somebody said, son, you're, you're, you, you, you need to be a star. You, <laughs> we need you for the telly. It was a, I was doing a radio show in Hull at Viking Radio, and I'd interviewed Lenny Henry. Uh, and we had a lovely rapport on the air, great fun, playing around with voices and yes. so on. And he said, you should send a tape to Spitting Image. They're always looking for people. Yeah. And on his advice, I did. Oh, right. And... Uh, Later that day, when I'd finished the show, I went into the reception area and it was raining outside. So I spent a few uh, minutes talking to the receptionist, Anne-Marie. Mm. And she said, you know, never mind, beautiful whole accent. <laughs> never mind talking in between Madonna records. You know, yeah. them characters you do, make that your job. Yes. And I thought, right, OK, let's let's dedicate towards that line. Yeah. And so I did. So that's Lenny Henry and... Anne-Marie Anne Anne Marie 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 responsible for your career. They are. They are. I can trace yeah. it back to that. And yes. what happened to either of them? We never hear of them, do we? It's, uh, yeah. um, all right. So, so, but you'd seen Mike Yarwood uh, doing this. And he was, uh, you know, he, he could do, he did politicians, but they were quite mild um, scripts that he did. They were, they, mm. you know, Dennis Healy said Silly Billy and Harold Wilson had a pipe. and he, he wasn't really going for the jugular most of the time, was he? Yes, it was, it was quite, you know, your cuddly uncle, mm. that kind of uh, approach to the comedy. Although on a couple of occasions on election night specials with yeah. Robin Day and the younger David Dimbleby, yes. Mike Yarwood would appear. Um, and his comedy there within that uh, environment... Oh, yeah did punch a bit harder. Yeah. It wasn't your usual Saturday night uh, jollity. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure place him now, you know, and, and the tone of the comedy would follow. Yeah. But in the 70s, it, that cuddliness was it, the thing. It was very much a, a main evening entertainment. It wasn't, you know, even like Spitting Image was a little bit late in the evening. It was yes. de it designed to be to be putting the boot in as, as best they could, as, as much as you could. Yes, um, exactly. But do you, do you, are you conscious of a different approach when you're doing an impression? If you're doing a, a TV personality who's introducing this guy at night or, or an actor, you know, steps down there, you're just looking for what they sound like. But with a politician, you're trying to perhaps make a point as well as saying, hasn't he got a funny voice? Yes, exactly. The, the, the voice part is only just part of the cocktail there. Mm. Um, the, the, the satire's got to come in. And just have the sense of getting at the truth yes. through fun, through humour, through ridicule, yeah. which just sweetens it. Some people sometimes doubt if satire or these you know, comedy attacks have any different, make any difference whatsoever. It's it's fun while it lasts, but people sort of come and go. Uh, you know, Margaret Thatcher, she was much mocked, uh, but uh, almost everything that was she was mocked about sort of strengthened her, made her look uh, bigger and more powerful. Yes, it's a thing. It's a thing to take care with i i think it, satire so long as it just puts those thoughts into enough mm. uh, various consciousnesses yes um then it's it's just that feeling of getting at the truth yeah that feeling of just undercutting the spin and the presentation and the well what's important is all that type yeah. of talk just yes. to get it up and the audience hopefully what we're aiming for is for them to say yes thank you for saying that and it was yeah. we enjoyed the ridicule of it too yeah you sort of you're Drifting into Tony Blair there, I think, which is... Uh... Well, you know, I think that's very important. <laughs> um, you know, when we start off as Tony Blair, ramp it up a little bit, and then from here, the next stage is probably the Daleks. You will <laughs> obey! <laughs> 
and they give the Daleks a smile, they turn into Michael McIntyre, and then you're out of there. Yes, you're an unexpected star of the show. <laughs> That's an interesting development. Now, what about the what, what about the sort of current people? I was saying that the the worry sometimes is that you know, so Rishi Sunak and uh, and Sir Keir Starmer, they are both fairly bland speakers in a way, but maybe when you get hold of them, you shake them into into a comedy turn. Yes, with uh, with Rishi. Um... There are similarities to Tony Blair. Once again, if you start with Tony Blair and then sort of make it a little bit more smiley, a little bit more syrupy, I'm sorry I was late for this interview. That's because my wife left me strapped into my booster seat. (laughs) (laughs) But we will do everything in our power. We will work day in, day out to fix the economy. And if we've got to put the national debt on my wife's credit card, then so (laughs) be it. Okay. <laughs> so that's Rishi and, yes. and Duncan Keir. Wisby. Duncan Wisby does Sir Keir Starmer. Yeah. And he sort of he sort of makes him quite compressed mm. and sort of quite predictable. And the solutions he looks for to be more exciting and to get the message across are usually quite silly ones. Well, what if I learn to disco dance and I enter the commons that way? He gives him that sort of tone. Yes. Like a, like a, yeah. a bewildered supply teacher. That kind of thing. <laughs> well, that's presuming not the image he's wanted to create, but I, I think in one way, uh, he just wants to be a bit duller than, than Boris because uh, yes, that's, yes. Yeah, we've, had a, we've had the excitement of Boris, but of course there have been these changes since then. Yes. It's, no, it's not good enough. Just Someone who takes things seriously, it makes a rather lovely change. Yes. You know? But I, I suppose you were pleased to see uh, Liz Truss come and go because it's harder oh. to, for you to do female <laughs> politicians. Well, the, the only good thing about those six weeks was that it gave Jan Ravens a great chance to do her Liz Truss. Yes. Um, and it's so, it's a wonderful thing. All she needs to say is go, I know! <laughs> she would make yes. the audience erupt. Yeah, no, Jan so, yeah, That was the only excellent. thing. I think yeah. Jan, after, after uh, Liz Truss had gone, Jan tweeted... Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> it was good while it lasted. Yes, Nobody yes, else said. Yes, yes. Uh, so uh, <laughs> uh, let's... Uh, um, I, I'm going to keep moving on through your wonders, otherwise we'll uh, run out of time. Um, we've only done two. And I keep ticking back to do the same thing. But we go back into the sky at night, in a way, uh, uh, Sort of with exoplanets. Yes. Exoplanets. So yes. I think you better just explain what an exoplanet is. Sounds like mm. something sponsored by an oil company. But, uh, <laughs> it's yeah. just got that tone, hasn't it? Yeah. We, we know the planets in our solar system, Mars, Venus, Saturn, Jupiter. Exoplanets are those confirmed worlds which have been discovered around other stars. And when you just stop to imagine what they might be like... It's truly fascinating. The way they're discovered is amazing mm. with the, the the telescopes in space, the Kepler telescope, the GLEES and the, uh, the James Webb now. Um, and the way that the light of a star is measured by the... There's a dip of light for a certain amount of time. Yes. And then the light comes back. And it, it's it's the orbit of a planet in front of the star that's So it's causing. almost like a mini eclipse is yes, the way you exactly. detect them there. Yes, so the, is your excitement the, the movement of things or, or are you imagining that one or other of these planets, maybe quite a long way away, might be sufficiently like Earth that there might be a possibility of life? Is that what excites you? Yes, idea? this is, the, this is the, the, the real great, great question. To be on the surface of one of these other planets around other stars, red giants or whatever they might yeah. be, just to imagine what that could look like. Mm. Just to see a, a rising um, ringed supergiant planet. Yes. And to see things in the sky that we don't see on Earth. We've got some wonderful constellations and the moon yeah. here. But just imagining what may be possible on real other worlds. Yeah. And yes, some of them that could support life, either as we know it or as we yeah. utterly don't. Yeah. Um, and the, the way that they're discovered, it, it's the equivalent. If you can imagine a mosquito in front of a car headlight yeah. a mile away. Yes. Uh, the telescopes can... That, that's the equivalent of an exoplanet in front of an, an alien star. Right. And it's d- discoverable to that degree of precision. I think if I'd been your careers teacher at school, I'd have said, don't bother all that silly things, <laughs> impersonating teachers' voices. You should go to work at NASA or 
whatever equivalent in in this country, you know, work on this sort of thing because clearly it's a, yes. a fascination. For you. I think my mathematics was never good enough for that. Yeah. Um, but I, I do get so involved. It's roughly there. This, <laughs> it's a long way away. <laughs> oh, it's a fair way. It's a, yeah. it's a fair yeah. bit. Yeah. Well, can I just interrupt? I have a. I, I always tend to say this when these sort of conversations. When I was young, you know, space travel seemed quite exciting. I mean, it is exciting. But, you know, we went to the moon, not me personally, but uh, people went to the moon, Americans went to the moon. And that seemed to be like a, maybe a stepping point. And when mm. the next stop might be Mars, and after that to some exoplanet or some other. So, but the more we know about it, the more we realise that even if there are civilizations on some planet somewhere, they're so far away, we've kind of established that we might as well be all alone. So why don't we just go back to... Uh, sorting out this planet and to stop worrying about ones in the distance. Am I being uh, just a sort of council of despair about this? No, no, no. It's it's a, it's it's a very wise thought. You know, there, um, we do need to take good good care of this planet. But I think in reaching out towards other worlds and thinking of the future, yes. you know, the far future, uh, where human beings might become a multi-planetary species. Yes. That might take us to a point where we think about the human race as a singular thing. Yeah. It might create a lot more unity. Um, and just the thought of, I think human beings have always, ever since our ancestors wandered out of caves, we've always explored. We've always gone onto the new territories. We've always gone forward. Yes. And I think eventually going to other worlds, other planets, um, is, is part of that. Yeah. 200 years from now, We'll probably have colonised Mars. There'll be bases there. You think? Yeah, I, th yeah. I think so. Give it two hundred years or so. Uh, terraforming might well have begun, which is um, warming up the planet so that it becomes more habitable, more Earth-like. Right. Uh, so you so we take some of the heat from this planet and take it there. <laughs> it yes, on, on Mars, the, the idea would be that you would you would build um, industrial uh, facilities there, create a deliberate greenhouse effect. Yes. Um, which is a bad idea on Earth, but on Mars it could actually help. Right. Um, thicken up the atmosphere, warm the surface temperature, all of the uh, carbon dioxide beneath, just beneath yeah. the surface would outgas, contributing to the atmosphere more and um, that, that effect. Uh, yeah. the, the water would melt and flow. Uh, the Valles Marinaris would fill with water. Then you start planting some vegetation. And in a few thousand years, not yeah. long in astronomical terms, no. then, um, yes, Mars will be a neighbouring planet of ours and we'll be travelling to and from there. Well, don't do it too quickly because no. uh, the, the BBC is very keen to take things out of London and put them in other parts <laughs> of the country. People <laughs> being, as soon as they get wind of they say, right, loose ends have been made on Mars from now on and you'll just have to make your money out of travel expenses. That's what, this yeah. is BBC Mars. But it's also interesting what the you were saying. Other world services. Yes, the other world services. But it's interesting as well, the, uh, the idea of travelling to these places, they are very, very far away. If we think about it, with 21st century technology, who knows what we may have in the future? Mm. That's another unfathomable, wonderful thing. Well, we're going on to your your fourth wonder, really, which, which is as, as vague a wonder as anyone has um, put in the wonders that I've had uh, gone through with the 50 or 60 other guests. Uh, what we don't know yet is yes. your wonder of the world. Yes. How do you know it's wonderful? You don't know. What <laughs> quite, quite. If we were to think back to Tudor times... Things like Bluetooth and yes. Wi-Fi would be utter witchcraft. Yes. They would be completely paranormal. These were things beyond the thinking of that time. Yeah. There was a time when solar eclipses were uh, paranormal. Yeah. Um, but That was the great way you got rescued if you were a, a missionary or something, or you were taken prisoner in some, uh, you know, lonely part of the world. As long as you knew there was going to be a solar oh, eclipse yes. the next day, you could say, I'm going to turn yes. the sun out or uh, you better let me go. But I that only worked once every sun. 30 yes. years or whatever it was. Yeah. But, anyway, so we, they, wouldn't, they didn't know, they could mm. scarcely imagine aeroplanes or the internet or yes. anything like that. And I do love to contemplate such things that we have no idea of at this present time. Yeah. But in hundreds of years from now, we'll be commonplace. And it's so good for the imagination and the inspiration to try and picture some of those. Um, Jules Verne, the great yes. writer, one of the most imaginative people of his time, yeah. in 1850, was asked to imagine um, what travel might be like in 1950. Yes. And he just goes to show that all predictions of the future 
always fall well short yes. of the reality. Yeah. And Jules Verne described travel in the 1950 would be um, there would be a, a plush. Um, a parlor yeah. with coal fires and velvet curtains suspended yes. beneath a huge balloon. He didn't which... imagine EasyJet. Then. <laughs> 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 they should have done it like this. Yes. Um, you know, a, a gondolier carrying a, a beautiful living room that drifts from New York to Chicago yeah. in a few weeks. Yes. Uh, whereas the reality in the 1950s, it was, you know, jet travel and yeah. an atomic age and heaven knows what far beyond his imagination yeah. and it's a comfort to me to imagine what wonders there may be that we well sometimes creative writers can imagine these things brilliantly mm. and they imagine people going to the moon stuff like that but sometimes they don't get it i think it's in a brave new world which i think is sent in sort of three thousand ad or something they're, they are you know they're making babies in test tubes in sort of ways that uh, mm -hmm. had to be imagined well, they're whizzing around the world. And they, but at one point they, in the book, they stop and have to go down to a hotel to make a phone call because they hadn't got mobile phones. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, why should they? There's no necessary reason you could have imagined that. But anyway, they didn't. Yes. That's the, the other side didn't. of the coin. That some, yeah. Sometimes predictions of the future turn out to be... There, there is nothing more 1970s than a 1970s vision of the future. Yes, you know? yeah. Lots of sort of spandex and tinfoil and so on. So that's the, the amusing side of the coin. I, I was When I saw you say what we don't know, I was thinking, you know, that Donald Rumsfeld thing when he said, you know, there are, there are known unknowns and unknown knowns and and which sounded like gibberish when he first said it but actually made sense you mm -hmm. you sat down we there are things we don't know but uh, but things we don't know we don't know and, and i think that's what you're really talking about you can imagine well we i'd like to cars to run on water you can imagine that but they'll if there's mm -hmm. something else that's going to transport things around that that's another thing a bit like magnetism that's just not in our ken that's that you, you're just hoping there's something good uh, that we don't know about yet. That will be beyond what we could possibly imagine. That wonderful yeah. Arthur C. Clarke phrase. Yeah. The universe is not only stranger than we imagine, it's stranger than we can imagine. Yes. So just to reach towards that and just to yeah. get your imagination going. Yeah. And do you think uh, are these things going to be done in America now for so long? America has been leading the way in all sorts of ways, but it seems to be sort of falling off the... The race, perhaps, if, that, if that's the right term for it. Yes, know. as time goes on and um, and different nations start to work together, yeah. it seems to me that the scientists of nations, different nations, work together much better than yeah. the politicians do. Yeah. Um, so, yes, I, I, I do think that um, as time goes on, it will be more and more obvious that this is a global cooperation that's required. Since, since you are a political satirist in, in, in form of impressions, uh, can you solve the conundrum that politicians in Britain and, in fact, in most of Europe, get younger and younger? People get into office in their 40s, and 30, you know, really mm. quite young. Whereas in America, they get older and older. Why, why, <laughs> why is that, do you think? It's, uh, I, that, that is another of the, the great, great yeah. mysteries. Yeah. I really don't know. So often you hear, of all the people they could have chosen... <laughs> And yes, it it is yeah. uh, quite unfathomable. Yeah, I mean, you go back several presidents, don't you? I can certainly remember you doing uh, George W. Bush. Which, oh yeah, yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. My, my, the first um, the first sort of president I did on on TV was was George Bush Senior. Yeah. Uh, who had that? Read my lips. No yeah. new taxes. Yeah. And George W. was very similar to him, but a little more compressed. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. I kind of a little <laughs> bit more sense of Disney right in there. <laughs> Yeah, Mr. Obama would have this wonderful way of uh, delivering a speech in a very precise manner yeah. across this way to the hall, then raising the volume across here, and then right to the back of the auditorium. Let's get ready to rumble. <laughs> Great orator. Well, he was... He was like a law professor, though, wasn't he? Yeah. I mean, of all the recent professors, he, he, uh, presidents, he had a, that sort of way with him, which uh, in some ways is a surprise that somebody as, uh, as, well, as competent as that <laughs> seemed to get there. But anyway, he had a reasonably happy presidency, not without yes. perfection. But then we've gone... Um, We've got into uh, Donald... Look, I know exactly what you're going to say. I know exactly what you're going to say. 
<laughs> there's a lovely story about um, George Bush watching uh, Trump's inauguration speech. This ends right here, right now. Yeah. America first. America first. And he was going through all of those tropes. There was a, um, a forensic lip reading expert just looking at George W. Bush. And when Trump had finished, apparently Bush said, well, that was some weird shit. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we we look back to we look back to George W. Bush as a as a statesman now. The, the man who started the Iraq War seems uh, more sane than. Uh, and what? How about Joe, Joe Biden? Because he seems half asleep most of the time. Well, he's very you know sometimes in a Dead Ringers episode. If we need to just pause things for a while, you know, if we've had Boris as this tumbling ball of energy, Joe Biden will come along and just steady things for a little. And we met, we've been talking about the wonderful images from the James Webb telescope, the birth of the universe four billion years ago. Man, I was just a kid back then. <laughs> <laughs> because he's, he's, yeah. he's quite a steady sort of character like that. He doesn't tend to appear that often. No. He, d he sort of doesn't do very much. <laughs> I remember Robin Williams making jokes about him years ago, about how old and, and, and talking rubbish <laughs> he seems to be up there. And that was, you know, at least 10 years ago. So, um, and he might be standing again. And Donald Trump may be coming back. And again, uh, do, do you have, you know, your sort of wishes go against possibly... I don't know what your political thinking would be necessarily, but you might want Donald Trump to be back anyway, uh, because such a great impression to be able to to play with. I'm not it? sure about that. I'm not sure about that. There was a lot of time when, you know, the two stories, Brexit and Donald, they were the things that would not go away. They would not go away. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he is instantly recognisable. Yeah. He's one of those that you do yeah. at the, the front of the act. You yeah. walk on stage. Hello there, people. It's yeah. very wonderful to be here yeah. in Leicester Square, London, Ohio. Yeah. <laughs> this is my tour of Great Britain land. I'm going to see everybody. I'm going to see Prince Three, the King, the Third. Yeah. And uh, I'll get to Stratford-upon-Avon, birthplace of William Shatner. And, uh, <laughs> he's recognizable, yeah. if nothing else. Right, he's definitely recognizable. And, uh, also the Mr. Yeah. Platford. Yeah. <laughs> Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Butterflies is your next uh, yeah. wonder of the world. So this... this Takes it off in a different direction. Uh, yes. But uh, why butterflies? Butterflies, not moths. Butterflies, not all the other insects. Butterflies, not all the other animal kingdom, but butterflies in particular. Yes, I, I, I suppose so. They've always been a great, great fascination to me. The, my perfect start to the day is, uh, you know, back home in Lancashire on a sunny day. I'll always mix a lovely strong cup of coffee and I'll get out just as the sun's coming up. And as the sun hits the buddlier shrubs. Yes. And you feel the first light of the morning. And then all the butterflies start to appear and they visit yes. the, the, the buddlier shrubs. And I've, it's, my mates at school used to collect sp uh, football stickers. I used to watch the butterflies and make notes of all the different species. Oh, and right. Yeah, I, I, you know, yeah. If I was to see a Camberwell beauty or a scarce swallowtail, it would be. But I, I've just found them a, 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 
the different species and the, the, yeah. the different moths as well. You know, they're yeah. sort of like, you know, they're more like graft butterflies, you know. Yeah. You know, I think butterflies would probably talk like Tenneth Williams, wouldn't yeah. they? Yeah. Oh, yes, oh dear, yes. Oh, you've been fluttering around the buckthorn, haven't you, dear? Yes. <laughs> But as moths, I reckon they're a bit like Sean Bean, you know. Yeah, yeah. it's just like, yeah. <laughs> well, some of them, some just get in your clothing and, and, and chomp away at them. Yeah, the little they're, tiny things. Yeah, they've they're, got to be big and observable, you know. But anyway, so butterflies. So, you, yes. uh, so we, do, were you regarded as, uh, were you a slight oddity if you weren't collecting the, the football cards, but you were, you were looking at the butterflies? Yes, I suppose uh, my friends found it quite unusual, but sort of appreciated it. Yeah, I think I <laughs> I once did a sketch where um, I was using Frank Bruno's voice to describe butterflies. Yeah. You know, they're very interesting. You know, the red admiral and the peacock, <laughs> you know, they do like, you know, to see them spectabile and the buddlers, you know, the buddler yeah. Davidi, yeah. And uh, a lot of them, you know, the fritillaries, you know, the small pearl bordered fritillary mm. or the silver wash fritillary, yeah. you know, you get them in woodlands, you know, very, very wicked creatures, you know, very nice, very yeah. nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, the Purple Emperor, you know, beautiful, very majestic. They call him, you know, Majesty, that one, you know. And, but they don't go for flowers. He's not hydrangeas or rhododendrons. If you, like, put rotting fish on the ground, you know, they'll, they'll all, all the Purple Emperors will hang on there and they'll get in there and, you know, start body popping. <laughs> <laughs> but are they, are they under threat? Uh, look, there's a lot of talk about insect life being... Uh almost not wiped out quite, but just uh, yeah, there, there numbers is a, going down. Yeah. Yes, exactly. There's a, there's a great yeah. deal of, of concern. Um, the, the, there's a, there's a, a project called the Great Butterfly Count where their numbers are measured mm. very specifically. And yes, it can. It, it, it's, a, it's a concern, the, uh, the, the numbers. Hopefully, uh, different years, sometimes you, there can be a resurgence. But it's yeah. something to be immensely careful with. Yeah, a real concern. Right. Okay, well, that's uh, they are wonderful things. Uh, we've probably covered them for our purposes today because mm-hmm. we've got to get through. And now you're, another of your Vega ones, though. Ah, yes. Uh, six Wonder, Other Times. Other Times, yes. So um, is this just talking about double history again? You just, like, <laughs> but you just didn't want to say double history because there was an audible groan from some yes. people when you mentioned double history before. It doesn't appeal to everybody. I like history, but, but Other Times, is that what you're talking about? I think I'd love to time travel. That's yeah. what it really is. As a Doctor Who fan, I would simply love to uh, set the coordinates for Tudor times and just yeah. simply have a look around, listen to how people spoke, mm. listen to what they did, try to get a sense of what their feelings were, try to get a sense of just what the ambient noise of Tudor times might be like. Yes. And just see, you know, visit a Victorian pub for a couple of hours and just watch and observe you know, mm. I'd need a suitable costume caravan to help me blend in. And yeah. also to take a trip back to the Cretaceous period and just right. see how alien that would be. Just yes. watch a herd of triceratops just um, eating away at the vegetation. Yeah. And just get a sense for these. I think other times, such as the ones we've been talking about, are fascinating because we can't reach them. The only way to get there is with your imagination or through movies and so mm. on. But to actually experience them would yes. be uh, an incredible thing. And it's always been, because it's, it's out of reach, it's all the more tantalising. Sure. So uh, that's a, another sort of those general questions that I, you know, it's quite like night conversation to pose. If you've given a time machine, mm-hmm. which which direction would you go in? Would you go backwards to see what ancient times are like? Or will you go forwards to see what's going to happen in the future? And it sounds to me like you want to do both because uh, you're very keen mm. on, on these things we don't know yet and the developments that might happen in the future. So going a thousand years hence, for most of us might feel a bit sort of um, uh, worrying because we might just discover the world's disappeared altogether. But you'd also like to go back and see what it was like in all those other eras. Yes, I'd, I'd, I'd love to do that, to ho- hopefully travel to the future and find that um, human beings had evolved to a, a way of thinking, a sensibility whereby th- those primitive aspects of, of, of war and division and disagreement are, are long, long gone, long, mm. long gone. I hope that uh, we, we can evolve to that sort of a position. Yes. Who knows? Uh, it was another thing that Carl Sagan once said, that um, if an alien race from two million years into the future had the technology to, um, to, to conquer interstellar travel... Yeah. then they would have uh, an outlook and a sensibility which would render the way we think and act as, yeah. as long, long gone and, and, um, and primitive. Yeah. I hope we get there too. 
So that was that was an op- that's an optimistic view that that's yeah. that's going to happen. But there's, there's no evidence really to suggest we're going to get there. It's, um, yes, we've just got to keep keep learning and going mm-hmm. forward, learning from learning from the mistakes, learning from the darker things, and hopefully put them put them right. Yes. Yes, um, I'm just thinking about a book, book like Gulliver's Travels, where you know, in the, in those days, traveling around in, in these imaginary worlds, the, the small people, the large people, but they're all behaving exactly the same uh, bad ways as uh, as anybody did. It does make you wonder just how recurring this would be. Mm. It just makes you wonder how hardwired yeah. that is within yeah. civilizations. I'm daft enough and hopefully optimistic enough yeah. to hope that we can evolve above it. So, so this uh, it's. You know, it strikes me that in your imagination, then you are combining a lot of things here with mm. your interest in interstellar travel and time travel, sort of an extension of that, uh, mm. but going forward and back. But you're not going to interfere. Can, can you travel in a way that keeps you in a bubble just looking at things? Because that's always the, uh, that's where the whole logic falls down when you say, oh, I'll travel back in time and I'll kill Hitler or I'll go back in time and I will uh, you know, st- stop some disaster happening. Well, then you've just stopped mm-hmm. the world... Could, developing the way it did and stopped you becoming you because you you wouldn't be there uh, but for all the things that came before you so at that point your your brain explodes and you realize time travel is not possible (laughs) in any way at all but a bubble that you could just observe with that would be wonderful yeah that's that was central to uh you know doctor who canon Mm. that you can travel you can observe but never to intervene that's the time lord philosophy (laughs) watch and observe but never people must be able to grow and learn at their own pace yes yeah so that was always the Time Lord philosophy. Yeah. My, you can do all the Doctor Who's, can't you? Going back. Yes, to quite time. quite a few of them. Yes, yes, quite a few of them. John Pertwee with that uh, that wonderful sharp resonance. Yeah. I have reversed the polarity of the neutron flow. The TARDIS uh, should be free of the force field now. Yeah. Uh, oh, thank you very much indeed. Yeah. Thank you very much indeed. Um, the imperiousness of William Hartnell. Hmm. Yes, conquer the earth, conquer the earth. Hmm. You poor pathetic creatures, don't you realise you will have to destroy all living matter? <laughs> or who else? Yeah, Christopher oh. Eccleston. You know, yeah. You know, lots of planets up the north. Fantastic. Fantastic. <laughs> Uh, Tom Baker, you were always a great one for doing. Well, yes, I love that. Uh, I was I was in Tunbridge Wells a few years ago, you know, and I was recording uh, a Doctor Who story with Tom. And he was talking to John Leeson, of course, the voice of K-9. Mm. And it was wonderful to see the, the two of them just chatting, friends for decades and decades. I've never seen Tom Baker more relaxed than that. All right. And um, he, said to, he said to John Leeson, didn't you, uh, you know, between Doctor Who seasons, didn't you, uh, what was that? You, you set questions for Mastermind. Yes, yes, I did. Yeah. I used to set questions for Mastermind, and for everyone they used, I was paid 70p. <laughs> 70p, well, yes. That's why you're always so generous at the bar. Yes, I remember. <laughs> oh, I remember. Yeah. Now, you've used your uh, capacity to impersonate Tom Baker and other people as well in uh, what, you know, slightly naughty ways you know talking to real people phoning them up that you got through to was it tony blair you got through to talking like william Hague? yes yes yeah. yes um it was a time when uh, you know Hague's voice and uh, there it was it was irresistible mm. and i worked with um steve penk at capital radio just over the road here um and steve said well with this voice we need to phone somewhere and steve said i think it should be downing street yeah I said, what, what are you, are you what, yeah. what are we going to say and well, and, and you write down the conversational possibilities just on a piece of card. Yeah. And we thought that the conversation would likely go, oh, yes, hello, it's, it's William Hague. Could I speak to Tony, please? And obviously the switchboard operator will say, oh, no, go away, stop wasting our time. Mm. And then there'll be some comic value in saying, but, but I am the leader of the opposition. Am I not important enough? This is an outrage. <laughs> And you can get a bit of comedy value with that. So yeah. I'm, I'm there ready with all the notes. Mm. And uh, and Steve gets the number of uh, the cabinet office from directory inquiries. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Trusting times yes, they yeah. were. And he types in the number and it begins to ring and I'm humbled with my notes, what I'm going yeah. to say. And then, uh, hello, Downing Street. Uh, yes, hello, it's uh, William Haig. I wondered if I could speak to Tony, please. Yes, just a moment. <laughs> <laughs> And in this way, that that was not meant to happen. And, yeah. and then she comes back a few moments later. Yes, sorry, who did you say was calling? Oh, yes, it's William Haig. Oh, good, you sound normal again. You sounded an imposter before. Just a moment. <laughs> <laughs> 
Panic is setting in a little yes. bit. And then uh, one more time she comes back. Oh, yes, Mrs. Blair's just gone to fetch him from his bedroom for you. <laughs> <laughs> and then the next thing was that unmistakable. Yeah. Hello. Hello. And it's yeah. him. Come. Yeah. Uh, just got to make something up on the hoof here. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hello. It's, uh, it's, uh, is, that, is that you, Tony? Yeah. yeah. Hello, it's William Haig. Yes, just thought I'd phone up for a chat, see how you are. Everything okay? <laughs> Don't work too hard. You know? <laughs> and, uh, but this was where he figured out something was going on because Haig, with his beautiful, sardonic mm. Yorkshire sense of humour, always called Tony Blair Prime Minister. Yeah. Rather tauntingly, I suspect. Yeah. So when we said, hello, Tony, he, he realised something was going on, but uh, played along merry-naturedly nonetheless. Right. But you could have caused a constitutional crisis or something. You might have stopped. Yes. He might, he, Tony, if, he, if Tony Blair hadn't realised straight away, he might have said something. I'm presuming that was your the hope, or Steve Penk's hope, that you would say something, <laughs> he would say something that, that revealed some cabinet secret or something. Yes, indeed, indeed. The, the the intention was just a bit of merry jollity, but uh, yeah, these sorts of things yeah. can happen. Yeah. Yes, I would have had to do a sort of a, a look to camera, a bit like Frank Spencer, oh, you know, <laughs> like that to follow it. But yes, that could have that could yeah. have been the case. But you've done voices of like Tom Baker phoning up people and uh, demanding, you know, th- and and this they're, they're just the receptionist or the mm. or the person trying to deal with it, and you're kind of making fun of them. Do you ever feel a bit guilty about uh, uh, doing that? Well, as long as everybody's laughing at the end of it yes and they've given their permission yeah. you play people up yeah. rather than down yeah and there's something lovely about taking an everyday place a pizza shop or a, a cab office or a shop and putting into that the science fiction characters yes there's a delicious juxtaposition yeah. about that uh, there was a case of what wasn't it didn't involve you as somebody phoning up a hospital or something whether you know there's a yeah. member of the royal family all that kind yeah. of thing which can go horribly wrong yeah, do you ever do you ever worry about that uh, when you're well, we, we, straying off the stage, off the screen, <laughs> and into people's real life. Well, you'd never, we, in the days of doing the calls on Dead Ringers, we would never have called a hospital or anywhere like that. No. You can't go there. You, okay. you filter all of those out. Yeah. But uh, places where, you know, a bit of mutual laughter, and at the end of it, you, you hopefully, oh, God, yeah, yeah, you've that got kind of reaction. Yeah. Yes. All right, we've got one more wonder. Now, with all these grand things that you've uh, had before, with the, you know, the solar system and touching on, you know, Mike Yarwood taking to your whole career of impressions, butterflies even, but your last, your seventh thing is 1970s cars. Yeah. How are they? How are 1970s cars a wonder of the world? <laughs> I drove cars in the 1970s, admittedly rather rotten, run-down version yes. of it, but they, it wasn't a great period for cars, was it? Well, I, I love the Mark III Ford Cortina. Oh, right. Oh, yes. You know, all of those colours, Arizona, gold, tawny, yeah. Miami blue. They have to be announced in this kind of voice, you know. Yeah. Uh, purple velvet. The, 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 the chrome, the, the Coke bottle styling, the vinyl roof. Yeah, well, what was the point of a vinyl roof on cars? They, they came, in, came in and went, didn't they? We don't have yeah. vinyl anymore. No, I, I wonder about bringing it back, you know. I used to, I used to clean my. Well, vinyl with... is back in other contexts. Yes, but, exactly. Uh, yeah. Oh, all right, never mind. But, yeah, I think the look of them, the style of them, has just come ripe yes. just now in, in a day when cars look very identical now. You know, the, the laws of physics and aerodynamics and all of that's fine, but the styling of those 70s cars. Well, you were also the Austin Allegro and the Morris Marino. <laughs> Would you well, go no, they them? were they were like they were like uncooked puddings on wheels, <laughs> weren't they? <laughs> not, not all of them. Yeah. Some at least you can have a fond retrospective laugh at the, the Allegro and, and so on. Yeah, uh, but it's, it's that sort of car. It's the everyday. It's not the sort of Aston Martins or the Rolls Royces of the day or the Ferraris. You, that's just the the regular cars on the road. Yeah, much as I admire all of those. Yes. there was something yeah. about you know the Cortina was there at the heart of everyone's lives. Mm. It was you know reps were driving up and down the motorway, you know, uh, school kids were being taken to the swimming baths in them, dropped off at school. Yeah. They they were the backbone of everybody's yeah. life. But we've still got cars doing that now. It's yep. just they're, in the main, I would say, much better. They don't break down so much. Yep. Uh, they, they used, used to be cars in the 70s, at least the cars I drove, they're all things, bits full, falling off them and, uh, yep. and grinding to <laughs> You had to have the AA mount. Nowadays, it, apart from, you know, a tyre blowing, 
That's mm-hmm. almost, or if you've got an electric car, not being able to find somebody to charge the car. Those are the only two things that uh, stop you now in the main. Yeah, this is very true. It's it, it's not really a thing to uh, you know to to wave your logic stick at because it ain't going to hold up. <laughs> but at least they've looked nice. Okay. <laughs> so. All right. So, um, John, we've come to the end of your seven wonders. Thank you very much. Yes, thank you. It's been a very happy therapy. Is thank there you. somebody that you uh, do an impression of that for some reason we haven't uh, strayed into, and you're thinking, oh, please ask me to do um, King Charles or, or so, you know. So. Yes, King Charles. Who's a, who's a favorite? I quite like Jordan Peterson. You know, yeah. that guy. Yeah. I like the way that he, he says out. Yeah. I think, you know, when, when you think about Kermit the Frog's cousin, halfway down the stairs is the stair where I sit. Yeah. There isn't any other stair quite like it. <laughs> I think, you know, he might find security that way, but stay that way and eventually your, your life's not going to work out. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's because he's Canadian. You've got to- <laughs> yes, I'm trying to think of um, who else is there. I love Jay Blades from the repair shop. Oh, right. You know, he comes in with this great curiosity. Okay, what you got here then? Okay, Whew, well, that's seen better days. Okay, here, Steve, got a job for you. Okay, yeah. so we'll leave it with us. We'll do your best. Okay, thanks yeah. very much. Okay, lovely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much for doing your 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 seven wonders. Uh, I have to select the, the wonder of the wonders, the, the wonder ah. that I think you have argued uh, the best uh, to put in our mind. I think on... Um, you know, in an educational way, I should really go with things like solar eclipses or exo exoplanets. But I was uh, I was really struck by um, uh, the way you were enthused over butterflies. So I'd, nobody Lovely. else has selected butterflies. So can I make uh, butterflies uh, your wonder of wonders? And thank you very much, John Culshaw. Thank you. Thank you very much. Okay. If you enjoyed this episode of My 7 Wonders, it would be wonderful if you could rate and review us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you found us. Thank you for listening. My 7 Wonders with Clive Anderson is a Stack production and part of the ACAST Creative Network. 